0: Our reading today is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. This can be found on page 994. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another one one bag each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. So shall we pray together as we start? Heavenly Father, we pray that your written word of scripture may now and always be our rule. Your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and your greater glory, our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In a cemetery, somewhere in England, There is a headstone which bears this legend, sacred to the memory of Major James Brush, who was killed by the accidental discharge of a pistol by his orderly, April the 14th, 1831. Well done, good and faithful servant. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We are continuing this morning our summer series of stories told by Jesus. Last week, Matt, with whom we rejoice that he was managing to be here last week, and we now know why, began very helpfully with the parable of the sower. And today we are looking at the parable of what I shall be referring to as the talents, as it was known before it became Bag of Gold in the more up-to-date version. And as Matt reminded us, stories are a very powerful means of getting a point across and stimulating people to think. Our son James lectures in civil engineering at Bristol University and is required in his teaching to get across a lot of very technical detail. And through his work, he also aims to widen his students' horizon with a bigger picture of what is possible, and challenging them to go out into the world to make a difference. And to get this point across, he often uses children's stories. And this approach echoes that of Barack Obama, who said on the Oprah Winfrey TV show, politics has to be guided by facts. But to move people, you need to tell stories. And both, of course, are picking up from the approach of Jesus, the master teacher who regularly used stories to engage his listeners so that those who had ears to hear would be able to enter more fully into what he was saying. And as always, when we come to a passage of Scripture, it is important to consider its context. And this parable, in the middle of three, in Matthew 25. And it's told just before Jesus' arrest and all the events of Easter. And the theme of this whole chapter is Readiness in preparation for Jesus' return at the second coming. As I'm sure a lot of you all know, it is preceded by the parable of the bridesmaids, which portrays a coming and the consequences for those who should have been preparing for it. But the parable of the talents takes up the question which the story of the bridesmaids left unanswered. What is readiness? For it is not a matter of passively waiting, but of responsible activity, which the coming master can see and approve. For the period of waiting is not meant to be empty, meaningless delay, but rather a period of opportunity to make the best use of the talents and gifts entrusted to us. And it seems that our English use of the word talent comes originally from this parable. And in this sense, is used to depict the need to live up to our full potential, to use and develop our God-given gifts in his service. These are the responsibilities that the Lord gives his people in the light of their abilities and opportunities. And picking up the word that Brian used earlier, and is an investment which the Master makes in us, his servants. He wants to be able to rely on us in its use. But in the story, the talent, or the bag of gold as it was as had read to us, is simply a sum of money, and a very large sum of money at that, apparently. For if you look back to the parable of the workers in the vineyard, the master hires his employees on the basis of a denarius for a full day's work, which they were happy with. Just over a week ago, we were fortunate enough to have a few days up in Stratford, and we met somebody there who was a detectorist. And one of the things that he did was to show us some of the treasures that he had found. And one of the things he showed us, and in fact I was able to have in my hand, which really thrilled me, was a Roman coin from about 55 BC, a denarius. So I was thinking ahead to all oh, this Sunday I'd be speaking on the parable of the talents, and there was a denarius right there in my hand, which was a lovely moment. And at the time, a, denari- a talent was worth about 6,000 apparently, of these denarius, or the equivalent of 6,000 days' pay. So the servants in the story, or slaves as they would really have been, were entrusted with very large sums of money, indeed. And as we notice, the distribution of the money wasn't arbitrary. It was given according to ability. So the master clearly knew his staff. And this made very good commercial sense, as he was going to be away for a long time. He had to be able to trust them, and he was prepared to back his judgment. So he gave one five talents, another two, and a third one, and then went on his way and left them to it. And we know that the one who had five talents put his money to work straight away and eventually made five more. The one who had two talents did likewise, and he made two more, but, The one who had one talent, instead of putting the money to work, went and dug a hole in the ground and buried it. Eventually, as they knew he would, the master returned and met with them to settle up accounts. To the one who had five talents and had gained five more, and the one who had two talents and had gained two more, the master makes the same response. He doesn't differentiate between them. He says to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Try and imagine, if you can, for a moment, that you are the third servant. You will have watched and heard as the master commended the first two, and you will know that all you did with yours was dig a hole and put it in the ground. So when it's your turn, all you can offer is to return the original talent. Not surprisingly, the master was unimpressed, as a servant couldn't even be bothered to put it in the bank to gain interest for he'd missed the point completely and substituted security for service. Even given his totally unflattering view of his master as a hard man and rapacious capitalist, capitalist even, his actions were still irresponsible, as in playing safe he had achieved absolutely nothing. In the ancient world, a hole in the ground was considered to be a safe place to hide something as long as the place was marked. And it seems probable that the original application of this parable was aimed at the Pharisees. When we remember all that was about to happen as they contrived in the death of Jesus. They had received the Torah, and the oral law with great care from their predecessors and ultimately from God. And they had preserved it unchanged. They buried it where ordinary people could not access it and did not use their responsibility well. They wanted a religion without change and without risk. And they are heartily condemned for it, by Jesus and they are the worthless servants of the story who will have their prized possession the law taken from them and find themselves outside the kingdom in the darkness. But as well as the Pharisees of his day Jesus was also addressing the story to those who would come after him and it's still relevant to us today. For being ready consists not just in keeping your slate clean but in active, responsible, faithful service which produces results. Both the five-talent person and the two-talent person found their opportunities had been doubled. It's not the quantity of the talents that matters, it's how we use them. And it's worthwhile noting that there isn't a no-talent person in this story. Everyone has something they can offer in God's service, even when we try and deny it and think we're not good enough and compare ourselves to other people. And that was the experience of one of the greatest figures of the Old Testament, who God was going to use in a truly amazing and mighty way, Moses. But when he was first called by God, as you can read about in Exodus, he was full of excuses, putting forward reasons why he was the wrong choice. Somebody utterly, totally unfit for the task of going before Pharaoh. To seek the freedom of his people. He was scared. He didn't want to go. He had no gifts. He wasn't a good speaker. And he made excuse after excuse. Until God said to him. What is that you've got in your hand? Well, not anything that could even be called a talent. It was after all just a stick, a shepherd's crook. He'd probably cut it from some tree or shrub in the wilderness. And in any case, a shepherd's crook was the last thing to go into Egypt with, for as the saying of a day put it, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. But God then proceeded to use the stick to confirm he had appeared to Moses by turning it into a snake. And then sent him to stand before Pharaoh, of course having turned it back into a stick, with the stick in his hand. And many here will know how the story develops, how constantly Pharaoh refused to let the people go and released them from slavery until the events of the Passover. Passover. And the Egyptians were so shocked by the events of that night that they let the Israelites go, but then eventually realized they had made a very bad commercial decision and went chasing after them, finally catching up with them as they approached the Red Sea. The Israelites were cornered. They had the Egyptians behind them in their war chariots, the sea, the Red Sea in front of them What? On earth, could they do? And the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your stick and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And they did. And they traveled on to the other side into the desert where there was no water. And being human, the people had already forgotten how God had brought them through the Red Sea. The moment they didn't have water, what did they do? They grumbled and complained, and they blamed Moses and expected him to do something about it. And he sought the Lord, who told him to take his stick and strike the rock at Horeb with it. And when he did so water gushed out for the people to drink. And as they travelled on, the people were very vulnerable and were soon under attack. Moses instructed the people into how they were to defend themselves and said that once the battle started, he would stand at the top of the hill with his stick in his hand. And all the time Moses held out his stick, the Israelites were successful. But whenever his arms grew tired, the enemy prevailed. So his aides got stones and propped up his arms so that he could keep his stick outstretched over the battle, which he did until nightfall when they were victorious. What a wonderful picture of prevailing prayer and of putting to use for God what we have ever small and however insignificant it might appear to us. And when Jesus lived on earth, he accepted specific limitations. Geographically, his whole career was confined within the boundaries of central Palestine. He never saw or travelled to the ancient cities of Athens or Rome. Neither did he experience marriage or parenthood or know what it was like to grow old. Yet his ministry was perfect and whole because he faithfully carried out the work God gave him to do. And a similar limitation rests on each one of us. We are not called to reach the whole world or to minister to every need. There is a specific work for all of us to do. And in finding and doing it to the limits of our powers lies our fulfilment and our peace. And in this way, we will become a blessing to people, often in ways we may never know about. So readiness, therefore, consists in having already faithfully discharged our responsibilities as disciples, whether they are great or small. It is the master who allocates the size of the responsibility. It is our job to faithfully carry it out. That is why in the story, he commends the one with the five talents and the one with the two talents in the same way. They had each been faithful in the life they were called to live and the task they were set to perform. And in the same would have been true of the one talent man if he'd acted in the same way. For the Lord can take the smallest act and use it in ways we can't imagine. What matters is our willingness To be open. Nicola was telling us this morning about the Genesis Trust and all the amazing work that over the last 21 years they have done and the plans they have for the future. 21 years ago, a lady in Bath saw and had compassion on a homeless person and gave them a sandwich. And from that tiny beginning, the Genesis Trust began. How could she possibly have known what God would do with her sandwich? But she reacted to a need and was faithful to what God was calling her to do. The rugby fans among you will have been as thrilled as I was by England's brilliant performances during the summer in Australia. And it came out afterwards that Paul Gustard, the coach, had used these words from a poem to inspire the players to do and to be their best. And this was the poem he used. It's called The Guy in the Glass. When you get what you want in your struggle for wealth, And the world makes you king for a day. Just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. You can fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass. But your final reward will be heartache and tears if you cheated the guy in the glass. And you can see what he was getting at and why he would have used it. But just think how much more that will be true when it is Jesus who holds up the mirror to our lives. So in response, let us each carefully and prayerfully consider what is our stick and offer it wholeheartedly to the Lord, however small and insignificant we might think it is. So then we may hear, in their rightful setting, these beautiful words. Well done, good and faithful sir.